All views and opinions expressed in this podcast may lead to learning. All information provided is for educational and developmental purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for a growth mindset. Before taking action, please consult your motivation. Welcome to Learn Your English Podcast, brought to you by Learn Your English. I mean, a lot of teachers have made this assumption, including parents, that online learning is supplemental to regular uh-huh. class learning. My question to you is, can e-learning become the spine of the system rather than a supplement? Okay, it's a bit like saying, you know, that using DVDs in the classroom or using YouTube videos in the classroom, oh, well, that's supplementary. And you could say that using a book is supplementary because digital is the main thing. Or, or is the teacher the supplement and the book? Ah, or, hang on, what's going on here? You know, what is really supplementary? I, I struggle a bit with the word supplementary. Teacher Talking Time is created with support from you, our listeners. If you like the show, you like what we do, please subscribe in your favorite app, tell a friend, and leave us a review. Believe us, it goes a long way. If you're interested in contributing to the creation of the show, we also have a tip jar on Patreon. The link to that, all our social media, and our website is in the show notes. For more resources on today's topic, you can check out our podcast page online, learnyourenglish.net slash podcast. Thanks for listening. And now, back to the show. Hi, this is Yuki from Japan. You are listening to Teacher Talking Time, the Learn Your English podcast. Konnichiwa, Yuki desu. Learn Your English podcast, Teacher Talking Time, o kiki kudasai. Okay, let's,、uh, let's get the ball rolling here. We have Fernando Rosel Aguilar, who is a graduate of the Universidad de Valladolid. Is that how you pronounce that? That's right, yeah. Where he got his BA and a postgraduate certificate in education. He then moved on to,、uh, he moved on to get his MA from the Open University. And he, I think you are now finishing your PhD in computer assisted language learning from the Universita Politecnica de Valencia. That's correct, yes. Also, Fernando is a knowledgeable and experienced higher education learning designer, author, lecturer with a lot of experience delivering blended and online courses. He's been involved in research on learning and teaching for many years. And his research interests, Mike, are online learning. And that's why we have him on the podcast today、yes. with an emphasis on the integration of technologies into teaching and learning. And this includes podcasting as a teaching and learning tool, mobile apps for language learning, Twitter as a tool for teaching and learning, online open and distance learning design, online language learning through CMC learning environments. Online information literacy, and you think he's done with that? No, he's got a lot more. He also reviews academic papers for language learning and technology, computers and education, the Call Journal, the C A L I C O Journal, and the Journal of Computer Assisted Learning, the J Call. His research also has done, he's also focused a lot on podcasting, and I've included a lot of your.、Um, I've included a lot of citations in one of my、uh, recent research papers. So, Fernando, welcome. 
thank you for having me. Uh, very honored. Yes. Uh, well, let's get the ball rolling here. First of all, how has this um, COVID-19 affected your routine in your life? Well, um, it's changed a lot of things. Um, I recently moved from um, teaching uh, at the university that teaches at a distance um, and started working at another university that is more uh, traditional and face-to-face -face teaching. Um, so um, all of a sudden I find myself back to teaching online because we've moved um, all our teaching at the university that I'm now um, to online. So I'm sort of really enjoying being back in the classroom and teaching face to face, and 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 now I'm I'm back in my old domain. <laughs> uh, but uh, actually, that that works for me. Um, I think you'll have spotted that a lot of people have been talking about the um, shift to online that has been basically pushed. Um, by educational institutions onto lecturers and teachers um, because of this situation. Um, and and, and I, I'm in the lucky position that I have done this for many years, so it wasn't a, a scary prospect for me. Um, but a lot of people are sort of having to deal with that now. And, and you can see why it would be uh, not necessarily scary, but you know, um, a bit, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, help me out. Seamless? It won't be as... Um... Won't, mm. No, I just think it's daunting, a bit daunting. Oh, it's a bit daunting. It's yeah. daunting for okay. Okay. Uh, well, yeah. that, well, that's quite interesting because you, you, were, you started with the online focus and now you got, as you said, you got comfortable being in the classroom face-to-face -face again. So now going back into this online platform, um, what have you... Have you learned any lessons from this thus far? <laughs> um, I, I, I think what I'm, in a way I haven't in the sense that what I'm seeing, which sadly we've, we see kind of all over again, is people, colleagues, teachers, um, being told by their institutions, um, go ahead and teach online as if it was something that you could just do, um, you know, the back of your head, of, of, um, you know, that's something you can just do innately or because, because you know how to teach face to face, it's assumed that you can teach online. Um, and also what I'm seeing is institutions saying to teachers, here's the technology, here are, the instructions on how to use the technology, um, kind of the technical side of it, um, and not seeing institutions providing pedagogical guidance uh, on what it means to teach online. Ah, I think this is an interesting point because, I mean, we could actually start with this. What is perhaps the main difference between online teaching and face-to-face -face teaching? Um, I actually got into a couple of conversations throughout the week with with people on Twitter, on LinkedIn, saying that, you know, online teaching is very different from face-to-face -face teaching. I mean, to me, I don't see that. I mean, of course, there are differences. But but if you are a good face-to-face -face teacher, I think a lot of the pedagogy 
can be transferred to online teaching? What, 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 what do you think are the main differences? And what is online teaching? First of all, I think we should start with a definition. Um, I, well, I, there are many ways that you can teach online. So, um, in the, so far I've been referring to basically um, synchronous computer-mediated communication through um, the computer. So this is um, virtual classes through um, applications such as um, Blackboard Collaborate, um, Big Blue Button, um, Adobe Connect, mm -hmm. those sort of um, environments where you are in a live situation, you have a number of tools at your disposal, such as you know, sharing presentations, uh, a whiteboard, um, a text chat, um, etc. Of course, teaching online has been happening for many years and before um, all, all these tools um, were available. Um, so, you know, teaching online sort of has gone through a, a shift um, where, um, you know, um, you know, right at the start, um, it would have been mostly uh, kind of one directional, um, mm. you know, teaching provided by someone as uh, a web page or content that uh, learners accessed and it was kind of interaction between the materials and the computer and the learner um, and this evolved to interaction between humans through the computer so online learning can take place in a number of ways um, and, and 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 it take many many different forms mm -hmm. um, it could be uh, text, it could be audio, it could be video. Um, some in the early 2000s and, and kind of towards until the 2010s, I guess, um, there was a lot of talk about audiographic conferencing mm. to refer yep. to, um, you know, the, um, the affordances of having audio and whiteboards, etc. Maybe not video just yet. Um, so uh, online learning can take many shapes, and you know you can do that in many ways. And there's many good practices and many not so good practices. Just like um, you find, you know, very good materials and not mm -hmm. so good materials online and on print. What what are what are some good examples of good practice and perhaps a few. Bad examples. <laughs> um, so I think um, part of it comes from um, sort of what you aim to do. Um, so some people start with the concept of um, they talk about transferring your teaching online. As uh. if you could do. Uh, um, you know, replication of what you do in the classroom in the online environment. And I don't think you should start on that. I think you should start with your learning outcomes. 
yes. and think about how you are going to achieve those through the online medium. Mm. Um, so once you start from there, you don't automatically think, okay, well, so what's my lesson plan when I normally do this? And let's just try to do the same thing in the online environment you start thinking, okay, what do I want the learners to achieve in this session and, and how do I go about it? Mm. So it sounds like backwards design kind of plays a, a major role here. Like, you know, as you said, starting with the outcomes and being re responsive to those, not necessarily, as you said, transferring. Yes. So um, I, mean, I wouldn't call it backwards design in the sense that I think uh, you should always start with the learning outcomes, uh, no matter uh, what you're doing. Um, so, you know, like when I'm writing books, um, so I should say, um, for many years I, I, I worked uh, at the distance learning um, university and as well as online learning, we basically we wrote everything, um, uh, online materials or DVD ROMs back in the day, uh, <laughs> and of course books. Um, and you start you start with the syllabus and think, okay, what do we want to cover in this course? How are we going to achieve that? And and that's where you start. So um, so I think everyone should start from uh, from the learning outcomes mm -hmm. and 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 plan their teaching based on that. It's funny you say that, Fernando, because Michael and I were talking about this and. We, we've, I mean, I've been following people on, on Facebook, on Twitter, on LinkedIn, and teachers are saying, you know, for teaching rather than lecturing or presenting, people are saying that Zoom sucks. Um, a lot of teachers are saying, you know, it's annoying that I cannot do any mingling activities with my students. I can't do the, the find someone who, you know, but I think what you just said I, somewhat addresses those issues. Like, you can't really just think about transferring everything that you do in a face-to-face -face classroom to online teaching. I think that's where teachers are getting it wrong. Yes. What else are we getting wrong in online teaching? Um, oh, um, <laughs> let me think. Please, um, I <laughs> take think, your time. I think, uh, well, one thing actually um, from, uh, okay, so let me start with the, with the technical. Um, so one thing that I think people sort of, I mean, getting it wrong is perhaps too strong. Um, but I think people discover a new tool or are being, are being told to use a new tool. And um, there's a real temptation to use all the different um, affordances that tool um comes with um, so you know oh um, you know so take the example of uh, video um, a lot of the tools that I mentioned earlier um, and you know you just mentioned zoom which is mainly video um, so a lot of those tools offer the possibility of everyone having their, uh, their webcams on so you can see each other I, I basically tell my students to turn their cameras off um, after the initial kind of waving hello. Um, and a lot of the time I turn my own camera off too. Um, mm -hmm. as, a, as a tutor, 
you want um, the students kind of to focus on on whatever you want them to focus on. So if if I have a slide or an image um, or a word document that I'm sharing with the students, I want them to focus on that and not on whether um, the room that I'm in is untidy right. or I have something going on in the background. Um, so um, that's one example of people kind of using a tool because of because it's there rather than um, thinking actually what's what's this tool bringing to me. Right. Um, and, and that can happen with a lot of the the different tools that you find on these kind of um, applications. So my advice to people who are new to, to teaching in these environments would be um, use what you're comfortable with uh, and use what's going to add to the session. Um, don't use tools just because they're there. And if you're going to introduce new tools, introduce them in a um, staggered manner so you don't overwhelm people who may be new to these environments with lots of different tools that they have to get used to. Fernando, I'm curious because um, currently I'm, I'm enrolled in university program and we are moving some courses online. And mm -hmm. our professor asked us for feedback in terms of some of the strengths and weaknesses of, of, of that move. Mm -hmm. And a fair few of the students in the class were somewhat critical of the shift just because they felt that it was removing the social element and, uh, and I'm mm. curious if you feel that that uh, that teachers or, or your colleagues in general who, who are now teaching online also feel pressure to maybe use these technical aspects because they they want to provide that social experience um, or is that just something that that again is just a, a belief we have well I think it you know it depends on whether you consider the social aspect to be part of what your lessons provide. I don't think socializing right. is necessarily one of my um, learning outcomes that I try <laughs> to achieve, right. um, unless it's socializing in the target language, if we're talking about language learning. Um, so um, I think socializing is a byproduct of getting people into a room together and then mm -hmm. they may uh, you know, they, they catch up with each other um, before and hopefully not during the class um, <laughs> and after and then they go for a drink or something to eat after. Um, so I don't see it as something I need to provide. I think it's, it's, it's a byproduct, like I said. Um, what I have done with my students, so I had a session last week with, with some of my uh, undergraduate students and um, um, while I was adjusting, um, I had a problem with my headset and I had to kind of leave them for a couple of minutes right. um, while I did uh, all my testing of volume, etc., which obviously normally I would do beforehand, um, but I hadn't been able to. And, um, and they were super chatty and I was saying, oh, wow, you're really chatty. They said, well, we miss each other. Um, <laughs> and, and I said, well, what I've done basically is... I've enabled uh, permissions for the students to join 
the you know to use the software without me being there so oh, right. if, if they want to get together using the software to catch up either socially or work together on on an assignment or whatever it may be they they, they can use it for those purposes uh, and also for for you know um peer support in terms of learning not only of catching up with um breaks breakups and um <laughs> hookups or whatever it may be that they talk about. Sure. Uh, that's interesting. I, I think that's an example of, of how we can actually allow the tool to do a little bit of what we cannot, but which is not a learning outcome, as you said, Fernando. And I think that's something that teachers really need to bear in mind is like, what is the learning outcome? And Mike and I, we, and Andrew, we, we um, recently we've designed and presented a series of webinars on pedagogy before technology. I think, mm -hmm. the, and you said something about teachers really using technology that they feel comfortable with. Mm. I think my question to you is, where should teachers actually start? Should they start with a video conferencing um, uh, tool? And what would be something else that they could incorporate? So like, basically, what would be the basics or the ABCs of online teaching? What would you recommend? So I'd say um, have um, something. So people don't like looking at a blank screen. I think it's uh, it, it can be quite. We you don't. Know, it, it, it sounds it, like my uh, board work in the class. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's it's uh, you know, it, it just there's nothing to focus your attention. Um, right. Even if you have just a picture of something, um, it's just something to look at. Um, so provide, mm. um, so a lot of people share their, um, you know, the slides um, right. that they may have prepared. And that's something that you know that everyone's looking at the same thing at the same time. It can support whatever you're saying. Um, and so, so you can start with having something like that. Um, audio, obviously, because you're... Um, using the um you know you're doing synchronous audio possibly video right. um but in terms of um what i was saying about the tools is is maybe don't uh poll students or send them to breakout rooms if they don't know how to come back from a breakout room <laughs> um you know that kind of thing you know start with the basics of you know here's something to look at and i'm going to talk to you and and you know move on from there one thing that i think is relevant at this point is that i think it's really important to sort of set the ground rules at the beginning mm. so mm. if um so what i normally say is something like um some people prefer to speak some people prefer to write something on on the text chat if you have a text chat alongside um, you know, in, in, in your environment. So I say, um, feel free to ask questions on the chat or to raise your hand if you have a, a tool that allows the participants to raise their hand to indicate that they want to ask a question or um, seek clarification of something. Um, so I say, right, I don't mind being interrupted, so feel free to mm. raise your hand um, or put something on the chat or speak. 
Um, but some people may not feel that way. So you have to set the ground rules of, okay, I'm not going to look at the chat um, while I'm talking. I will, after I finish what I'm explaining, then I will look at the chat and, and look at your responses, um, etc. Right. So if you set those ground rules and people know what to do, um, also teach them to, to use the basics. So um, it may be that you only have one hour online with the students and you think, right, I want to get started straight away with indeed covering one of those learning outcomes that we have to, for today's session. Um, but it's worth spending a few minutes um, explaining things like, for example, okay, here's why I prefer you not to have the camera on. Um, mm. And actually, I didn't mention earlier, well, another reason not to have the camera on is that it consumes a, a lot of bandwidth. And right. some right. people um, have, you know, some people will have better connections than others. And, and they may, you know, it may lag because of the, all the cameras being used. Right. Um, but going back to the, so, you know, to, to teaching them the basics is, Okay, um, you know, like, so this week I've been teaching using uh, big blue buttons. So I was telling them, right, if you click on your name, you can change your status, um, you know, do things like uh, raise your hand, use a few emojis, etc. Um, and, and I will be looking at that. Um, or there's the chat and I will be looking at that. Um, so that's kind of how I think you should start with setting the ground rules explaining the basics so you can um you know run the session and they feel comfortable that if they need to say something raise their hand etc they know how to and then move on to the actual kind of content right. Right, that you have planned for the session huh i think it's funny like here you describe that uh, procedure um i think I, i'm kind of going through that process on my own and i'm thinking wow there's a lot of language just in that activity alone isn't there in terms of how to uh, actions related to a computer mm -hmm. um, actions of problem solving and and so on um, yeah so if it depends kind of what you're teaching um in with um in the target language or with you know with english as a medium of instruction um if, right. if, if it's english you're teaching um so yeah that's an opportunity to certainly um you know teach uh, kind of the meta language that goes with um, being in the in the online environment, um, I actually um, back in ooh, let me think, <laughs> two thousand and three, two thousand and two, two thousand and three, um, at the institution where I worked, uh, we were using a piece of software that actually the university had developed uh, because it was a distance learning institution. Um, and it was basically like one of those um, that I've mentioned before, you know, Adobe Connect, etc. Mm -hmm. It was called Lyceum. And it had pretty much all the affordances that you expect now from, from, those, um, from those tools, except um, video. Um, huh. But we were using it to teach German, French, and Spanish. And one of the first things that we asked the developers was to, um, depending on which course you were accessing, to change the interface so all the buttons were actually in the target language. Interesting. Ah, okay. um, 
it was a relatively simple thing to do because it's just a question of changing the labeling and being able to set the language. Um, but of course, if you're teaching, um, say, French, and um, you're, you're saying in French, oh, press the talk button, you don't really want to say the word talk button in English, you want to say it in French. Um, <clears throat> otherwise, you're kind of mixing a lot of um, code um, in there. So that's a relatively easy thing to do and, and very useful to maintain the target language as the medium of instructions if you are at the kind of level where you can use the target language as a medium of instruction. Right. Huh. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, no, this is, I mean, I was just thinking, um, and this is based on something that you said earlier. Um, I think it's, perhaps it's safe to concede that the education world has been turned upside down after, you know, what's, what's happening in the world right mm -hmm. now. And I think the question that everyone is asking is very simple. Um, will online learning reshape the classroom? And the reason why I'm asking you this is because I have two kids who go to um, the school board here. And we often, I mean, a lot of teachers have made this assumption, including parents, that online learning is supplemental to regular uh -huh. class learning. My question to you is, can e-learning become the spine of the system rather than a supplement? Okay, so the, the supplementary <laughs> word. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, okay, so basically, um, I, 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 I find it somewhat amusing. Um, so basically, I mean, you guys read um, research, yeah. um, you know, in the um, introduction and use of technology um, in, 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 into teaching and um, a, a, a huge amount of research into computer assisted language learning somewhere along around the conclusion of the summary will say um you know they had the technology you know we did this we did that and conclusion it will be a great supplement to <laughs> right um, teaching <laughs> yes 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 and this applies to apps to interaction on social media to podcasting, yeah. um, to you know, I, no matter what paper you're reading, someone says supplementary. Um, so, uh, it's a bit of a pet peeve of mine. <laughs> so, <laughs> do tell me to um, stop because I could go on. No, um, please continue. <laughs> so, um, basically, I think it's a bit like, um, okay, it's a bit like saying um the you know that using dvds in the classroom or using youtube videos in the classroom or actually shouldn't be saying in the classroom actually saying in teaching that could be online or Facebook. um oh well that's supplementary and you could say that using a book is supplementary because the teacher is the main thing or or is the teacher the supplement and the book the ah, main thing? Mm, or yeah. hang on, what's going on here? You know, what is really supplementary? Um, it, I think any good language teacher would be using a number of resources, of types of input, 
um, from magazines, books, newspapers, online or physical videos, audio, and and you know all of it together becomes your session that you're teaching. Um, so. Um, you know, I, I, I struggle a bit with the word supplementary. Now, back to kind of the main focus of your question, is online learning supplementary? Can it become the phone? Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. Professional development has many faces. Workshops, webinars, conference presentations. What it shouldn't have is a lack of continuity. Research has shown that professional development initiatives have a lasting impact when they adopt an ongoing approach to professional development and not just a one-off workshop. Through our professional development model, teachers progress along a continuum of development while making connections to their teaching context along the way. As they refine their practice, they enhance their ability to be responsive to the learners and acquire skills which help further learning outcomes. If you're a school seeking an innovative, evidence-based, and bottom-up approach to teacher education in your institute, we'd love to talk to you about how our program works. Contact us online at www.learnyourenglish.com or by email at info at Hi everyone, my name is Marek Kiczkowiak and I'm from Poland. You're listening to Teacher Talking Time, the Learn Your English podcast. Cześć, nazywam się Marek Kiczkowiak i jestem z Polski. Słuchacie właśnie Teacher Talking Time, the Learn Your English podcast. Now, back to kind of the main focus of your question, is online learning supplementary? Can it become the focus? So, as I've mentioned before, I've taught online for many years. I have trained tutors to teach online for many years. And, and, and this was in a context where um, students, university students were basically being sent materials or given access to materials online, print, whatever it may be. And the interaction time um, was mostly um, online. Mm. And we have successfully taught languages to people for many, many years using that system. And so to a number of us, um, actually there's nothing new about teaching online. It's been done, you know, the t-shirt has been collected. Um, <laughs> so, um, um, so I realize that a lot of people are new to using this environment, but mm -hmm. just because it's new to them doesn't mean that it's new to everyone. And actually, if they look at the kind of things that are being done, they will find that this has been going on for a long time and, and they can uh, read on what people have been doing, good strategies, bad strategies. Um, so can it, I, I think, People can be a little bit um, afraid of the role of technology in, in, in teaching. Um, mm. uh, you know, 20 years ago, people were saying, oh, is the internet going to replace teachers? Uh, no, uh, 
the internet hasn't replaced teachers. I think, um, I, I don't know about your context, I think in the UK, when it comes to contact hours for students, we've probably seen a reduction in the actual time that you have face-to-face -face with your students mm. in traditional universities. But, um, and, and hence the, the rise of um, flipped learning, etc., where um, you just basically maximize contact time. So you probably don't read the text altogether in class as you might have done before. You ask students to read the text before the class and then you can discuss it. Right. That kind of thing. Right. Um, so um, would it be, I'm just kind of bouncing this back to you, would it be so awful if, if the teaching was done online? So um, as an example, um, I don't live in the city where I teach. Um, so I have a one hour train journey there and a one hour back. And of course I have to get there. I try to get there at least an hour beforehand in case of some delay. Right. And also because, you know, you want to be ready and everything else. Some of my students also don't um, live in the place where they're studying. So they have to, so there's a, uh, there's a time element and a cost element to uh, right. um, to getting to your class, and actually um, this week I, you know, I could literally get dressed five minutes before my class. Um, <laughs> you know, I didn't, but I could. Or a podcast. Yeah. Um, so you know that it wouldn't be so bad to to move some, if not all, of the teaching online. Um, you know, a lot, um, a lot of time would be saved. Um, maybe mm -hmm. there would be cost saving as well in terms of, um, you know, um, for the institution in terms of, you know, facilities, yeah. um, having Absolutely. lights on, all sort of thing. Um, so, uh, I mean, if I said to you, yeah, uh, we're going to have all our teaching online with that be so horrible a prospect hmm. i think your, your your answer actually leads into a, a broader discussion about accessibility as well right because mm. there are people who are limited in terms of their ability to get out i mean not just because of covid19 but just in general yeah um, and uh, and all the issues and structural issues that universities and, and schools in general are um need to provide so that the classrooms are accessible yeah yeah and not only um physical um limitations um but there's also uh mental health issues right. where mm -hmm. someone may feel really uncomfortable in a classroom or a group, group situation yes and they may feel a lot happier being you know in their own kind of the comfort of their own home mm -hmm. and you know, connected to a computer that they connect to every day yeah. and they're mm. used to using and that may have assistive software as well. Right. Um, yes. So, you know, there's, um, there's a lot to be said for, for online learning. There is also another side just to, um, <laughs> um, to bring a lighter note, perhaps. Um, I did, um, I, I remember years ago, um, we're doing a, a Spanish um, lesson and one of the students said, um, you know, how they are normally 
um, you know, they find it difficult to speak in, in, in Spanish and, it, you know, it takes a bit of courage. Um, so she said, well, um, I'm actually sitting here in my pajamas with a glass of wine um, and it's <laughs> right. working a treat for it to help me um, loosen my tongue. So <clears throat> I'm not advocating for the use of alcohol to enhance <laughs> your... Um, Lower your effective filters, right? That's it, yes, crashing. Exactly. We'll have to get crashing on on yeah, exactly. podcast to talk about that. <laughs> um, but, you know, uh, it, it, I think it showed that, you know, you were comfortable, you were just at home doing your thing and coming to class. Yeah, sure. I think there's something to be said. And I think, I don't remember where I read this or if somebody commented on one of my posts recently, but classroom learning favors extroverted people as opposed to introverts who like to learn on their own. They don't like doing pair work. They don't like doing group work. And I find that the classroom, for some reason, they're, they're thrown into this environment where they actually don't feel comfortable. So that's right. there's something else to yeah. be said about that. That's an interesting point, Leo, because I think it also maybe reflects something cultural there, right? Mm -hmm. That we're actually um, prioritizing speech, right? We're prioritizing, yes. as, as Fernando said, the, 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 the confident student who feels um, confident to speak in front of others and can take over the class and and oftentimes like definitely um, and I don't want to speak for all all teachers out there but but just as something to be reflective about right like how when we think about grading a class and grading participation let's say um, let's be honest like how I think that we do put a lot of importance place a lot of value on uh, one's participation and mm. their ability to generate discussion over say yeah. silent silent reflection and yeah. mm. right. i think there's a lot of issues that cannot come together in that first of all is um kind of where we're starting from the assumption that a kind of social constructivist uh, social constructivist right. um mm -hmm. approach to teaching is is the best way i think we can all um kind of agree that it's the uh, the approach that we're kind of living in these times um right and you know so um you know that that students then you know co-learn and you know you ask them to discuss something and come up with their own ideas of why that is or how that works or whatever it may be and and then discuss it all together and that's a good way of learning um in other times uh, you know a behavioristic approach wouldn't right. have done that or a constructivist that wasn't social constructivist approach wouldn't have encouraged that um so you know you are starting from those kind of um from that perspective as kind of the good way um which you know we could argue about but let's not particularly um but <laughs> i think there's also an element of um a very um western approach to teaching mm, that's, um, that's what i was coming at yeah. so um i teach a lot of international students who um particularly when it comes to content teaching i think with language everyone understands that they have to have conversations they have to talk to one another sure. they have to do that in the target language when it comes to teaching content um I think a lot of students from certain countries where they have been taught um, in a way that reflects other ideas about teaching 
um, where the teacher is kind of the source of all information, the sage mm. on the stage. Right. Um, and they're supposed to listen and take notes and their opinion is um, considered irrelevant and certainly not um, asked for. Um, I think you then have to take into account those kind of beliefs about learning that the student may have grown up with and, and believe in. Yeah. No, I think there's definitely a lot of, a lot of interesting uh, parallels here. I was even just to circle back to something that you said earlier. And I think this is uh, something that we as a company believe in is that not every, like the teacher is not really required. It's not really essential for, for learning to take place. Um, we believe that if students are motivated, if students are, have sufficient input, and if they are, if they are using the language, then, then, I mean, how many people have learned languages without the help of a teacher? And I think, I think the biggest problem we're encountering with online education now is that teachers are still under the, not everyone, of course, but teachers still think that they are necessary in order for learning to take place, perhaps. I don't know. What mm, yes, I, I think you, know, you make a very good point there. I think um, that depends a lot on the context in which the language is being learned. So first mm. of all, um, obviously, if you are in uh, physically located in a place where the target language is the language that, that is spoken, there's a, there's a lot of you know, difference there. Certainly, learners can have many, many opportunities for interaction, for exchange, for right. accessing target language, etc. cetera. Um, but aside from that, I think um, I'm, I'm a big advocate of um, autonomous language learning yes. and, right. and lifelong learning where you enable your students, your learners to um, to go out and do their thing, basically, um, and continue without the need for a teacher. Right. However, um, if you're talking about uh, a school or university setting, an educational institution of any sort, um, there is an expectation that uh, you, know, you are being taught and assessed. And because you are being taught, that teaching comes from the institution. Um, some of it may be through, you know, something as basic as going to the library and getting a resource to online delivery of um, educational resources and contact time with a teacher. Um, so I think it's an expectation in that kind of um, situation that yes, a teacher will provide, um, will be the, the main um conductor of, right. of that teaching process um whether um they are um you know the main so you know when you uh, the main source so uh, you know a, a, an online a, 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 in university course normally would assume uh, it's something like 300 hours in one semester Right. Um, you're not going to have 300 hours of, of contact time um, with with the teacher and the rest of your um, fellow students. So there is an assumption that a lot of 
that will be independent work, mm. um, be it right. doing homework, revising for exams, writing assignments, whatever it may be. Mm. So um, I, I wanted to kind of make the difference between you know, people who are actually registered on a course and people who are learning independently. Yes. Um, so mm. autonomous learners um, are, a, you know, autonomous learning keeps growing. Um, and I think it, 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 grow, it grows more and more the more that is available online. So, you know, you take apps, for example, when it comes to language learning, people see the likes of Duolingo, Busu, Mango, um, all these language learning apps and they, they teach themselves, um, you know, or they, they start working through them to learn, to learn a language. And most of the time, this is not teacher-initiated activity. Mm -hmm. It's not something that someone's told them yes. to do. It's something that they do autonomously. Huh. So um, more and more we're seeing the availability of services such as that. And people, um, you know, I, I did a study of uh, people using a particular app and one of the questions was, um, do you think you can learn a language just by using the app? And, and a number of, of the respondents did think that they could just learn the language using the app. Um, they didn't see it as supplementary. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> so, um, um, so I think there is a, the more that people see these um, assets or uh, services being used, the more that they believe that actually you can learn through those things. I think the more people um, use the, their, their mobile devices to, to engage in learning, the more they believe that you can actually learn through those mobile devices and therefore are more likely to try to learn using mm -hmm. the devices. Mm -hmm. um, so, but um, you could be very keen and um, can go in the complete opposite directions of direction to where you should be going. So it's fantastic that people um, learn autonomously and self-direct their learning, but they also need, um, and this is something that is not generally being taught to language learners, is learn to to manage their learning, yes. not only in terms yeah. of, of time um, that they should put in, etc., but also in terms of, okay, so if you're going to learn, you decide you want to learn a language, um, you know, what are your goals? Um, mm -hmm. And maybe look at something like, um, I, I know in, in Canada and the States, this is not as commonly used, but I think the use is growing. Um, are you familiar with the, well, I'm sure you guys are familiar with the, um, Council of Europe framework of reference yes, yes. Um, <clears throat> for levels of language learning. So, you know, in, if you look at a simplified version of that, it'll tell you that, you know, you be competent in a number of situations and also that this involves, um, you know, writing, speaking, mm -hmm. uh, reading, listening, interaction, and grammar and vocabulary involved in that as well. Um, so some apps will test your vocabulary to, you know, to the end of time um, and, uh, and, and not actually teach you a lot of reading because they usually display very short sentences on the screen. Right. Um, so 
you need to, I think as language learners, and if we're going to enable learners to work um, autonomously, we need to make them realize that they need to come up with a plan, make mm -hmm. sure that they're balancing the different skills that they need to learn, and, and not just using uh, one source for learning that maybe focuses on one particular skill, um, but actually making sure that they're covering um, all the different skills. Oof. Mike, do you want to take over now? Because I, I have a lot. Well, to yeah, about. no, because what I'm what I'm hearing is that that there's a real opportunity for students to become more invested yes. in, in, in learning. Um, and, I, and I think that this this sudden shift actually represents a great opportunity for students to kind of discover language through their own curiosity. Right. Mm. Mm -hmm. yeah. I was even thinking that this time away from school, especially with, I'm looking at my kids in particular, it's actually a golden opportunity for children, for learners to research their interests and actually share them with not only with their parents, but with their peers. So kind of like almost like online education that fits each child. My question then is if, if students are feeling empowered and again, going back to teaching Fernando and Mike is, Teaching should lead, should facilitate learning. We should never come from this assumption that teaching leads to learning. And this is why, uh, Fernando, we believe in, in teaching students how to learn, giving them transferable skills so they can Absolutely. actually go out there in the world and actually do things as opposed to, here's a reading text, here's a list of comprehension questions. I mean, when was the last time I stu you were given a list of comprehension questions when you were listening to the news, right? Not quite. So, although <laughs> maybe some people should. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Sorry. That's true. <laughs> but that's an aside. Let's um, not judge. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, sorry about that. If but but like, <laughs> my my point is, could could this this idea of individualized instruction, could this actually accelerate learning i i think the more you personalize learning the more the learner will um see the benefit of engaging with it so um it's the kind of thing where um you know i always say to so if, if learners have to i don't know make a presentation about something i try to make the topic as free as possible Mm -hmm. When it comes to reading, um, I, I, I do something that some of my colleagues have sometimes found a bit controversial. So for beginners, well, not quite beginners, but maybe uh, intermediate False learners. beginners or lower. Yeah. Um, so I, I uh, you know, people come to you and say, oh, what kind of things should I be reading? And, you know, traditionally... Well, while I was learning English, you know, it was the classics, you know, and from right. Shakespeare, mm. which is not the most um, transferable things <laughs> yeah. um, to, you know, uh, I don't know, Dickens, whatever it may be. Right. Um, and I always say, actually, if you're the kind of person that doesn't tend to read novels, for example, and you read National Geographic, then go and find National Geographic in the target language. Right. right. Um, yeah. If you read Hello Magazine, 
go and find Hello Magazine, you know, yeah. a, a, you know, a gossip magazine or whatever it may be, fitted to the kind of things that you would learn and that you would yes. be interested in reading. Um, so another thing that I say, particularly when it comes to reading, is actually, so when you pick up a book in, in a foreign language, and it's one of the first books you read, unless it's a graded text where you know it's been simplified for you etc you know it's quite a challenge so um i actually um and you know some people do disagree with me and feel free to disagree <laughs> with me um i actually say to students what's your favorite book and you know if i'm teaching um spanish which is what i normally teach but i've taught some other languages um um i say well go and pick up the spanish term translation of, of that book right. um, and why so I tell my students to read Harry Potter in Spanish um, why because they are familiar with the plot mm -hmm. and therefore they are reading without this fear of if I don't understand the word I'm not gonna know what's going on well right. actually you know exactly what's going on so it doesn't really matter and you're enjoying the language a bit more yes. you're not stressing while you read um also a lot of words um will be very similar so taking the example of harry potter again you know you have a uh, muggle or hufflepuff or gryffindor or hogwarts right. and those are going to be pretty much the same um and actually it's super fun to um to see how those are translated because sometimes are translated and some aren't mm -hmm. um french in particular uh, actually in the italian version as well i don't ask me why but i i i've read the first harry potter book in in english in spanish and french and in italian <laughs> and um and it's hilarious the way some of the things are translated and the words, you know, the names of the characters, some are translated, some, some are not. Um, and it's, it's fun. It's fun to read and see what's changed and what's different. Um, so, um, you know, um, so it's, sorry, I've, I've kind of digressed. Um, but my <laughs> point is, um, going back to individualized learning, is if right. you like reading Harry Potter, read Harry Potter. If you like okay. watching YouTube videos about whatever it may be, find those in the language you're learning. The more individualized the, learn, the learning experience is, the more it relates to what you're interested yes. in, the more motivated you're going to be, the more you're going to be interested in learning the vocabulary that relates to those fields, because mm. it's the language you speak with your peers or with your friends and that's the language that you're going to want to speak with people in another language it's what interests you let's take a quick break we'll be right back you know quality professional development is such an important part of the teaching industry but it's surprisingly hard to come by that's why I was so pleased to come across Learn Your English, a company providing online teacher education courses with a fresh perspective. My name is Erin, and I'm an English language teacher. After a decade in the classroom, I found myself teaching the same things in the same way. My learning seemed to have plateaued. I wanted to take charge of my learning, and I really like how the online Learn Your English courses don't prescribe anything. They motivate me to reflect on my teaching and propose tactics and ideas I hadn't considered. 
If you're a language teacher wanting to learn inside your busy schedule, I highly recommend their online courses on Thinkific. Head on over to lyenetwork.thinkific.com. That's lyenetwork.thinkific.com. Take control of your education. You won't regret it. Hello, my name is Victor. I'm from Hutskona in Sweden. You're listening to Teacher Talking Time, the Learn Your English podcast. Hej, jag heter Victor. Jag kommer från Hutskona i Sverige. Du lyssnar på Teacher Talking Time, din lärare i engelska podcast. Because it's the language you speak with your peers, with your friends, and that's the language that you are going to want to speak with people mm-hmm. in another language. It's what interests you. Yeah, and you have that purpose, right? Even going back to the CEFR um, can-do statements, right? It's a little yeah. bit like creating your own can-do statements. Absolutely. I can go to the pub and chat about Harry Potter now because I've read it in English and I, can, I have some of that some of that vocabulary at my disposal right yeah Mm. i was just gonna say what i was gonna say is that it's basically learning that fits your lifestyle and i think we seem to forget that we seem to for some reason we i don't know there's so many assumptions that we make um about our learners but we seemingly forget that they're humans and they have their own interests and their own desires and like you said my purpose and as you said as well fernando is like what are you interested in like my children, like my son, all of a sudden, he just wants to learn about Bill Gates. So I said, why don't you just learn about Bill Gates then? My daughter is learning more about science. She's like, I really want to learn more about what, like, what are phones doing? Like, why are people so addicted to phones? But we don't talk about these things in my class, daddy. And I said, well, then just learn. I'm not going to impose my own agenda mm. on my children. I want them to find, and this is why I was asking, like, could actually this accelerate learning. I I agree with you, Fernando. I think it could definitely um, accelerate learning. And perhaps this is what we were getting wrong in education. I don't know. Well, I I think there's there's a big stumbling block um, along the way, a huge barrier, which is that a lot of, um, you know, formal education um, comes with um, a syllabus. Right. And that syllabus was designed by whoever. Um, <laughs> and um, no comments and, on the syllabus designer. And, and, and however. <laughs> and however, yes. And, and you know, you, you are responsible for um, those, your students achieving the learning outcomes of that syllabus. Um, so, uh, where you can, by all means, individualize learning, but let's not be naive that we can just tell our students to uh, look into only what they're interested in. A, uh, because you have to, you know, complete, you know, follow the syllabus. Right. Um, also, because, uh, you know, we have a duty to provide a, a general education where you assume there's a number of things that everyone knows um so you know it's it's a you know like everything uh, syllabi mm-hmm. are a blessing and a curse um so um you know they guide your learning you, you don't have to start from scratch but also you get some things enforced i think it's particularly 
oppressive at higher levels of language learning, particularly when they say, yeah, mm -hmm. that you have to read Dickens, you know, something like that. And you think, and how is Dickens relevant to the kind of learners that I've got at the moment? Um, and, and it can be quite a challenge to make that interesting, particularly because you may be the first one that's not interested. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's tough to balance though, isn't it, right? Yeah, it's, 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 it's a hard thing to balance. Yeah. And, and this is why, kind of taking it back, um, you should use the opportunities for independent learning. Um, you, you know, you should foster the independent learning to be as personalized as possible because some things you can control, some things you can't control. Um, so I should clarify, when I talk about autonomous learning, I'm talking about things that students do kind of out of their own bat to right. learn for themselves, etc. When I talk about independent learning, I'm kind of talking about work they do towards um, something purely like, not necessarily homework, because you've said that, but, you know, work that they do towards increasing their exposure to the language or their knowledge of whatever point in language, mm. but probably within being kind of registered in some kind of formal Jewish right. sort of work. So, Fernando, basically then we have autonomous learning and we have independent learning. So what is the goal of the teacher in your perspective in the classroom? Is it more to actually teach students how to actually learn outside the classroom. My, my question to you is that how much teaching should we be doing online? So, uh, good question. Um, I am all for teaching um, kind of lifelong skills right. and skills that uh, are useful in the workplace as well. For example? Um, um, well, it's things like, you know, doing a presentation, right. um, mm. agreeing um, something uh, online, um, you know, uh, uh, working as a group, you mm. know, those kind of, uh, those kind of employability skills right. that right. Um, an employer is going to assume you have because you've been to university, right. in the mm. case of university or at school. Um, so you've learned, it's, it's my job not only to teach um, learners or students the content of what of our subject but also a number of skills that go with it and that could be you know for a postgraduate student it might be you know being able to locate sources and mm. use as a referencing system right. um, you know people are going to assume that a postgraduate student knows how to do that even if it's not something that is taught in your specific class, you know, because you're teaching X subject, but those are some of the skills that they have to pick up along the way, even if they're not, you know, explicitly taught. So I do think that there's a lot of um, teaching that needs to happen and that is never in the syllabus about learning to learn. Mm -hmm. okay. Good strategies for language learning what works, what doesn't work, what works for some people, but not for others. Um, you know, we don't think about that. To, yeah. Yeah. Um, and also, um, there's some myths to be um, kind of dispelled. Um, one that is particularly annoying um, is the. <laughs> 
um, apart from learning styles, which has been fairly debunked by now, yes, um, it's the the whole um, a younger, you know, the whole digital native, native nonsense, yeah. um, um, which you know, just because someone is younger, they know how to use technology. Mm, no. <laughs> a, that's been very much debunked. And, but mainly what people seem to miss when they have that assumption um, is that just because someone knows how to use the technology doesn't mean that they know how to use it for learning. Ah, right. That's very interesting. Yeah. And that yeah. is the key. <laughs> Actually, I'm, um, I'm oh, sorry, please. Yes. Yeah, yeah, go on, go on. No, because I'm quite curious because now we're getting on the topic of students. And um, I, uh, I think a lot of teachers, and perhaps this is a myth, uh, kind of perceive that, that students who study online are different from those who study face-to-face. -face. In other words, that they're, that they're different types of students. And, and I, I don't know, could you, could you comment on that? Because I think you've written about that, right? That the similarities uh, and differences between online students versus face-to-face -face students. Yeah, um, yes, I, I did do some um, research on that uh, a while ago. Um, I think um, <laughs> that there was a difference uh, because it used to be the case that um, people taking online courses had chosen the online version of the course. Okay. Um, okay. I think nowadays you don't really find that choice. Um, so, it's live that they want, is what you're saying, maybe. Yeah, it's, you know, yeah. online learning is now something that is kind of assumed is going to happen in many places. Mm -hmm. um, places that where it wasn't assumed are now moving their teaching online for all the circumstances going on at the moment, um, as well as the natural evolution that was happening to moving towards online teaching. So you should always assume, you should never assume rather, that um, the online learner are, the, uh, sorry, that the online learner has chosen to be an online learner. Mm. Okay. Uh, but within, within that parameter, I think um, the proficient online learner is probably one who is not afraid of the tool Mm. Um, of the of the medium of delivery, um, who doesn't have a kind of a mental block of, you know, online learning is supplementary or <laughs> not as good as um, the, the S know. word. Let's call that the S word from now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know that this is just not as good as. And right. I think anyone who starts from that um, position is a lot more likely to find the faults, to find the, you know, to compare it to face-to-face -to -face teaching. Interesting. Not yeah. in terms of the experience, but in terms of the outcomes. So we started right at the beginning with the learning outcomes should be the focus point. Right. I think someone who is predisposed to think that online learning and teaching is not the same or is inferior, in fact, because um, it is not the same, it's, it's a different thing. Yes. Um, um, but that somehow it's inferior, then are going to find the faults and they're going to um, be the ones thinking, well, 
this is not good enough, mm. etc. Right. Um, so, and that applies also to teachers. I was about to get to that because I, yeah. I have to ask you a question about that because a lot of, I, I think it was, a, there was a, um, a survey 2017, 2018, I can't remember, saying that about 9% of academics prefer to teach in a completely online environment. Mm. That basically means 91% of us <laughs> don't. And I suspect, I would argue that a good majority of the 91% would prefer to teach anywhere but online. So my question for you, Fernando, is, I mean, I think that good teaching is good teaching regardless. If you are a good teacher face-to-face, yep. -face, you're going to be a very good teacher um, online. So my question to you is, why, why are teachers so resistant to online teaching? I think a lot of teachers haven't experienced online teaching. Mm. Um, mm. I think a lot of teachers haven't been trained to Absolutely. use online teaching. And if they've been trained, they've been trained on how to use the tool, uh, but not on the pedagogy of online teaching. Right. So it, it can be daunting um, and it can be you know, scary for some people. Absolutely. Um, some people may have the belief that their teaching will not be good enough because they don't think the medium is good enough. Uh, and that happens because they've not actually received any tuition online that they've been well, at all, um, and therefore they don't have a good experience of what teaching online is. Or they may have had an experience 10 years ago with a mm. very different kind of technology, that different performances, and who knows, maybe with a not very good teacher. That's why um, when I teach teachers to teach online, I do that online. So right. That you know, we do it in the environment and they get the right. experience of receiving tuition online. They know what it's like to be on the other side um, when there's confusion, etc. Right. Also, um, people tend to make a huge deal of the fact that the first five minutes of a classroom, of a class, sorry, um, will be spent going, can you hear me? Can you turn up your mic? Da -da 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 -da, you know, the kind of thing. But actually, when you go into a face-to-face -face session, you may well spend five minutes going, can you sit down? Can you get your things? Can you, you know, yeah. Yeah. all the kind of stuff that happens. But because, um, you know, they're having to do this kind of techie stuff, right. um, then it affects their, their own beliefs about on, online learning. I think they're also um, very... Uh, there's two, two more things. So one is um, they may not be very comfortable with the tool. And I want to talk about the, the roles of the online teacher in a minute. So they may not know, they may not be comfortable with all the roles that they have to play mm -hmm. as an online teacher. And also for those who are very experienced face-to-face -face teachers, you know, it's it's like treading the boards. You know, the more <laughs> the more you've done it, the more comfortable you're with it. And someone who is very used to being comfortable, to knowing what they're doing, how they're doing it, if there's a problem, they've solved it before in most cases. So they they have they know they have that backup of mm -hmm. um, things they've done in the past that have worked. When you're in a new environment, you feel more exposed. You've um, right. Many teachers also 
have this belief because of this so-called digital natives that don't exist. But the, um, uh, um, you know, they think um, I've had conversations with teachers say, "But the students more know about technology than I do." And my response to that tends to be, "A, that's probably not true." and b will use that so if someone's having a technical problem rather than thinking that it's up to you to fix it why don't you say does anyone know how to fix that and yeah. actually use it for your advantage does that answer your question it does yeah i um i just said it because i think related to that and i'd love your expertise on this because you've worked as you said you've worked with teaching teachers and i wonder if if um, there's been a particular stage of a lesson, you mentioned the beginning of a lesson earlier, I wonder if there's a particular stage that teachers tend to struggle with when they move from the online, uh, sorry, from the face-to-face -face classroom to the online environment. To give you an example, um, do they struggle with like the, the kind of practice stage or, the, or, or in the way they, that they give feedback? Are there mm, yeah. certain things that they have a harder time um, realigning or, or, or adapting? Yeah, I mean, you are sort of coming from the perspective of the transferal of what they would normally do face to face to the environment. That's, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But but it is what most teachers will actually try to do. So it's it's more than fair enough. Um, so um, actually, I'm going to pick up the point that I was sort of making earlier about mm. the roles of the teacher. Right. This, this comes in, um, I think this is very related to your question. So um, as face-to-face -face teachers, we know our role, we know what's expected of us, we know our expertise. Um, when you're teaching online, you have other dimensions that come with the role. So first of all, suddenly you are the IT help desk <laughs> and you may yeah. not you may not feel comfortable in that role at all. Okay. Um, you are also, so I mean, so you are kind of the the facilitator of of and the convener of this um, thing, and and you also kind of as you always do, you you kind of group students and arrange them, uh, etc. Um, there's also suddenly you are in a very multimodal environment where you may have uh, you know, a PowerPoint slide in front of you. You have a list of participants and some people may be appearing and disappearing from that list and you don't know why. Um, you have a text chat going on that you have to keep an eye on. Right. You are right. looking at your lesson plan and you're listening to the students and reading what they're writing. And you know, a multimodal environment can be quite challenging for those that are not experienced. Oh. So. You know, the more you do it, the more you get used to it, the more you can say, you suddenly think, okay, for the next five minutes, I'm not going to be looking at the chat because we're focusing on this and then I'll catch up with the chat later. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so you were saying about the stage where, where uh, it might be kind of more difficult. I think group work, um, people tend to think that, oh, group work is such a challenge in online environments. Um, and actually isn't. Um, so normally um, a few of the software um, packages that we mentioned earlier mm -hmm. um, have um, breakout rooms, they're normally called. Mm -hmm. So um, you can assign 
either randomly or literally, you know, the ones you want into groups. So, um, so last, last, last week, for example, I was saying to my students, okay, I want you to discuss this among yourselves and then come back and we'll, we'll see what you've, what you've talked about. The kind of thing that you would do um, in, in a face-to-face -face classroom. And right. um, so I assigned them to rooms and, and up they went. So at that point, uh, in, in most of these um, environments, you can't hear what's going on because everyone's in a different room or, you know, in groups of three or four, whatever it may be. And you physically have to go, not physically, <laughs> but, you, <laughs> yes, yes. but you know, as you, you would kind of, um, um, as, as you would in a, in, a, in, a, in a classroom situation where you kind of hover around people mm -hmm. working in groups and kind of eavesdrop a bit and see right. that they're going and check with them, are you, you know what you're doing, um, any questions, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but then you do that. You basically right. click into each group and and have the quick listen and and ask any questions. Are you sure what you're doing? Blah blah. Um, and that's for some people it's a bit cumbersome. Um, you also need um, this is something that I that I we haven't discussed. Um, what we haven't mentioned is giving instructions in the online environment needs to be um, perfected and it's not going to happen the first time you try it. Uh, so you're used to saying, okay, well, I want you to work in groups and people start getting into groups and saying, no, <laughs> listen to me. <laughs> and it goes something like, okay, I'm going to put you into a breakout room and I'm going to set a timer. So at the end of the five, for example, minutes, your you will be recalled automatically into the plenary session into mm -hmm. the plenary area rather than the breakout room um right. you will be working um so this is what you have to do uh you know discuss this talk about that and at the end of the five minutes you need to have three ideas about blah 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 right so and very clear your instructions need to be very precise what i tend to do is depending on the on the software you can actually preload um slides onto the breakout rooms and in some other software whatever slide is on the main screen automatically gets displayed in the breakout room mm. so i normally have very precise instructions in bullet points on a slide that basically goes with the students to the breakout room, so they have something a something to focus on, and also the instructions very clearly. Mm. Right. Interesting. Perhaps Fernando, one thing teachers could do is have a, as you said, slides, or perhaps even a Google Doc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Right. Um, I wanted to say because you were talking about the roles of of an effective online teacher, and I mm. think this this one for me it comes from a place of vulnerability, which Mike and I talk a lot about this. Teachers need to be vulnerable. And I think one of the roles of, a, of an effective um, online teacher is that you are a co-learner. You're great oh, teachers absolutely. are lifelong learners. And I mean, we, they can model that learning for their students in a variety of ways in the online classroom. 
you can be like as you said you can be very active but not too active right so you will silence students you're participating in those online discussions you're sharing what they're learning about their subject but at the same time you're just learning with them right yes and, and i think people um some teachers kind of feel quite um I think vulnerable is a good word you just used. Um, I think uh, people think that they that they that that they should be perfect, right? And that their students expect them to be perfect. Yeah. I'm very upfront with learners, and I will say, okay, I've taught online many times, but actually this piece of software that we're using today, I've only used a couple of times. So right. there will be times when I'm not entirely sure which button I have to press. <laughs> or you may know, and I may say to you, do you guys know where, where, the, where that button is or right. whatever it may be? And, and if you are upfront and if you say to them, oh, I didn't know that. If somebody, someone uses something that you didn't know was there, yeah. um, you know, let them know that you are also learning with them. Um, so not only are you a co-learner, but make that explicit. Yes. Um, so some humility. absolutely no shame in not knowing every single button of every single piece of software. Yeah. I think teachers, for some reason, make this assumption, right? Mm. Yeah, that we always need to know everything. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Mike, um, any... I think, oh, go I ahead. Think, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 um, I think we put that pressure on ourselves. We mm -hmm. want to be perfect. We are... Um, kind of uh, center stage, yes. and and we want to know our lines um, on the particular play that we're <laughs> starring in. Um, yeah. We want to make yes. sure that we know our lines and we're you know stage left and <laughs> everything else. <laughs> you know, you you want to to make sure that everything's working. Um, it's it's kind of a you know professional pride, and while mm. I think uh, you know I've had teachers who. You know, I'm the kind of teacher that if someone asks me a question about my topic and I'm not actually entirely sure, I will say, actually, I'm going to have to look that up and we can talk about it later or, or next session. Some people are never, ever do that kind of thing because they just feel like, um, you know, students are going to think less of them or they expect them to be, um, mm. you know, all knowledgeable. Mm -hmm. Um, so it kind of depends a lot on your attitude to what being a teacher is and that um, you're sometimes just a facilitator of learning and not the yes. it's, it's what we like to say, moving away from being the, the sage on the stage Indeed. to the wise on the side. Yeah. Yes. Or the guide on the side. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Michael, you want to have any... We're reaching the end of the podcast. We've been talking for over an hour now. <laughs> I, I don't know how that happened. I'm sorry. I go on. No, no, it's uh, it's, it's, <laughs> it's great. It's really, really interesting. Uh, I'm, I'm no, really Leo, enjoying I, it. Yeah, I, I just, um, I guess I would go. I, I'm trying to think back in like in terms of what what came up in our webinars and what what have I seen kind of in the social media chats. Uh, I think there's a lot of concern about feedback. Like you mentioned breakout mm. rooms, and mm. um, I think that that as you said it, it, it depends on the teacher i guess and, and their own um idea in terms of how they approach discussions in their classroom and and, and how strictly they monitor and, and how they choose to give feedback but i, I just i'm curious uh, are there any kind of best practices that that come to mind in terms of 
giving feedback and, and managing breakout rooms so, in particular? Um, it depends kind of on your beliefs about feedback um, and right. how you do it um, in, in, as a teacher, you know, personally. Um, I, I mean, in terms of feedback, I've done it in a number of ways. So um, if a group has just done a presentation, say, um, then you want to give your feedback straight away or you may, but if people have been, you know, talking and we've been practicing this and that, I may leave five minutes at the end and say, right, I've noticed a few of you made this mistake or um, I keep hearing this expression being used in this way and it's more accurate that way, mm. kind of do a generic feedback. I mean, right. I don't think anyone does individualized feedback, feedback um, in the group situation that could right. be embarrassing right. for the individual. Um, so um, you, you know, what, what, what I do is offer uh, a session, like a drop-in session. Mm. Literally, I'm oh, interesting. Like an office hour type of thing. Yeah, literally, but online. Right. Um, right. And say, okay, you just, just uh, pop in and we can talk about your piece of work if you want individualized feedback. Um, what I also do, so my students just, um, uh, you know, I just returned the marks for one of their assignments. And um, obviously, I, I wrote a lot on each individual um, assignment, um, uh, you know, feedback to the student of why they got the mark or, you know, misspellings, whatever it may be, all the sorts of things that, that you would feedback on. But I also did a PowerPoint mm. where I took the slides that I used to present the coursework so this is what you have to do. This is what yeah. This is this has been, This is what you're going to be assessed on, um, and just basically went back to to those slides, and went okay. So this is what you were asked to do. Um, some of you haven't done this. Um, so what I do is you know that um, PowerPoint has a, a record audio option. Yes. But some people don't know about that. But you can do like a narration. <laughs> Um, so you literally, in, uh, you know, with each slide on what they were asked to do, I say, right, so some of you have, you know, I, and I try to be positive with the generic feedback for everyone. So I say, most of you have achieved this very well, if they have. Um, some of you missed out on this and this and that, so mm -hmm. pay attention to that. Um, so you were asked to reference using the Harvard referencing system. So um, some of you... Um, you know, because you've been reading papers that were not, that didn't use the Harvard referencing system, you've copied that referencing system and actually it's not accurate for this particular one. Right. Or a lot of you, I noticed your paragraphs where, you know, didn't stick to a single idea, weren't, didn't have the right introductions mm -hmm. or okay. whatever it may be. So I, I record a generic feedback that applies to the whole cohort to help them improve their assignments for the next one. And, and just upload that so they can access it. Okay. Right. Huh. It's funny. Um, Mike, I was just thinking about that. Um, I think it, just what Fernando just said, I, it, I think it goes back to the beginning of the podcast. We need to have very clear learning outcomes. Mm. That's it. Um, yeah. I mean, we're reaching the end of our, our of the podcast here. 
Um, and I wanted to wrap this up with a perhaps uh, a statement that will probably lead to a question, Fernando. And I hope this is going to be the last one because we don't want to take up too much of your time. <laughs> Thank you. Um, You've been but, gracious. <laughs> but I think the fact of the matter is most of us don't know how to teach online or how to get better at it. Mm. And but the people that our tribe, these people, these educators, they are motivated to learn, which brings mm. me to my question. How can teachers become better at online teaching? How can they develop? Okay. So I think it's a, um, you know, we can't generalize all teachers all, um, in all um, situations. So I think that's a number of things. Um, first of all, um, familiarize yourself with the technology that you will be using. Mm -hmm. um, if you're not afraid of the technology, um, you will be a lot more comfortable in your teaching and feel less apprehensive about teaching in that environment. Mm -hmm. um, think of the roles you are um, having to play in the online environment mm -hmm. and which ones you're comfortable with and which ones you're not and the ones you're not and it could be you know like I said the, becoming the IT help desk right, right. Um, you know if, if you don't know just say to students I'm sorry I, I don't know this you know can one of the uh, of your classmates do it does anyone know and if they don't just say um, you know you there are times that you're teaching online and suddenly someone's having a sound issue or whatever it may be. And some people will spend 10 minutes trying to fix that student's technical issue. Right. Now, during those 10 minutes, you have a whole lot of other people in the session that don't have that problem and are thinking, you know, how is this relevant to me? Um, you have to let them go at some point. So just, literally say okay um i'm sorry this is not something that i can cope with uh, i know it's frustrating for you and it is for me but i can't help you anymore and we need to get on with the with the lesson um i suggest that you contact whatever help desk is available to them through the mm -hmm. institution or whatever right. it may be and join the next session or watch the recording if you're recording your session right um so that's something else. Um, most of all, I'd say get together with, um, if you're in a situation where a whole lot of you have been told, go teach online, and this is not something you're experienced in, go and find recordings by more experienced teachers that may be available online. Right. And also get together with your peers, your teachers that, you know, your colleagues, Mm -hmm. and and have a few tryout sessions um you know um you can do something like so okay for example my students are having to present something online um as part of their next assignment and my next class is going to be i've asked them to come up with a very short um learning object that they're going to teach the rest of the class so each of them will have a turn at teaching that for two, three, five minutes. That's a good idea. Um, and it's, mm -hmm. it's just, okay, do that. Get your peers together uh, and, you know, have a, a, an hour session 
where each of you is going to manage the classroom for a bit, the classroom, the, <laughs> the yeah. session for, um, for a bit and, and try new things. So the other thing that I've told my students is I don't want all of you to base your um, activity on X, Y, and Z, the most obvious tools. So why don't a couple of you meet online using the software, plan something, maybe using breakout rooms, maybe mm -hmm. using some of the, the poll um, tool, whatever it may be, and let's all experience the different tools, but the, the, the onus of knowing it all doesn't go to one person, but you divide the work, say, okay, um, for today's session, we're going to do this. Don't expect to be familiar with all of the tools from the first session. Um, try them out um, at the time that is a, you're not overwhelming yourself or the students, try things out because they will be, um, or don't try things out because you've already got the tools that you need and that are the ones that are going to be more conducive to you achieving the learning outcomes for your session with your learners. Okay. Right. Well, that's a great, very handy list. Well, Fernando, we would like to thank you for your time. And, uh, oh, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, no, seriously. Mike, any final comments? Any? No, I, I learned so much, and um, I think the way that everything was delivered, I think it's 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 something that I think definitely the audience will be able to kind of relate to their own context because we're all kind of in the same little fish tank now, aren't we? <laughs> so, mm. I, I, and I think that there are there are a lot of great suggestions and valuable insights. So, thank you very much. Yes, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Mike, that was a good interview. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. Any any important takeaways for, for you? Well, interview? I just liked how how he drew a made a distinction between teaching online and this idea of transferring, right? Mm. So so kind of taking away or kind of removing that myth of that it's the, that all you do is transfer it online. And he he what from what I heard was that we need to make a distinction, right? That mm -hmm. that we are now teaching online and therefore we need to revisit our goals, right? Yes. And go back. And uh, well, he, he didn't necessarily say go backwards, but rather we need yeah. to rethink our outcomes and shape our approach around the outcomes rather than just simply transferring, which I thought yes. was very, very, very insightful. I mean, the whole idea of, the whole idea of having very clear outcomes and I think goes back to how we design courses. If you just have courses that are designed with discrete item points as part of their learning outcomes. For example, students are gonna be able to talk about the present perfect, or they can communicate using the simple past. Those are not very clear learning outcomes. And as he said, those outcomes have to be transferable. They have to be things that students can actually do outside the classroom. And also the roles that online teachers have. I think that to me was, was very interesting because one of the things that I wanted to add to, he said, you know, uh, thinking about the tool, becoming familiarized with the tool. The second, uh, the roles, right? The effective role yes, of, yeah. of, uh, of um, an online structure. And I was going to say the third one is related to what we said, Mike. The idea of vulnerability is just being yourself. Right. You know? 
If you don't just know, you don't yourself. know. If you're having trouble, you're having trouble. Yeah. And I think that's actually just hearing that from, from a leading expert is encouraging, right? Yeah. Because um, I think right now, from what I've gathered from our workshops that we've done, and um, is that, that the teachers are kind of putting that added pressure, that added mm-hmm. burden of wanting mm-hmm. to be the expert in the technology. And of course, one should know as much about the technology, but you just can't be the be all and end all. And, and mm-hmm. at some points you just don't know, just like when a grammar or language question comes up, you might need to just hit pause and, yeah. and revisit it at a later point. It was yeah. very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. No, overall, I think it was a very good interview. I hope everyone enjoyed it. And uh, who are we interviewing next? Who's going to be next in our podcast? We don't know yet. We don't know yet. We don't know, but, but let us know also what you think of this format of um, two interviewers rather than mm. just the one because this was our first time and uh, we'd like to get your feedback on how that Absolutely. went as an yes. audience member mm-hmm. thank you very much everyone thanks for listening this is teach a talking time podcast from learn your english thank you very much you've been listening to teacher talking time brought to you by learn your english Ready to take control of your education? You're in the right place. Teaching, professional development, learning. Expand your world with Learn Your English.